As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. All right, good morning. 1850-715-996. Text 083-396-9696. Siri Mattis Opinion at 96fm.ie. Not sure where this weather is going to go. In the British uh, newspapers this morning, they're calling it pest from the West. It is coming from Canada. Whatever kind of a cold snap we may be about to get over the next uh, day or two. We have a yellow alert in place. We'll see if it amounts to anything over the next 24 hours, I guess. Good morning. I went up yesterday to the meeting at the Commons Hotel. Uh, the meeting of residents affected and uh, relatives affected by the vandalism in Kilcully Graveyard. A couple of things came out at that meeting. Uh, you've been hearing about it in the early morning news and it's on your newspapers also, but uh, you'll hear my full report from there in a little while. I've got a copy of the document that they were talking about at the meeting yesterday. And there it is in black and white what was agreed back in 2013, but what has not been done. That's to come. But first of all, we've had a lot of different contact over the last few days from Ballyvalan, the general Ballyvalan area. A lot of separate incidents being reported to us, people contacting us off the record uh, to let us know what's happening and to ask us to look into it, but but afraid to talk for pretty much two reasons. One, they don't want to damage the reputation of Bella Villan, which is where they live and the place that they love, and rightly so. They also, and this is more worrying, they also fear reprisal. Uh, they believe to be... We understand that a lot of residents are living in fear of a small group. Uh, one woman, for example, came across a young boy being harassed by a group of youngsters, stepped in to help him. Uh, she wouldn't talk to us now because they know her car registration. That's how worried people are. We were, however, contacted by Councillor John Maher, who had been contacted by someone who wanted to bring a story into the public eye, but asked Councillor Maher to do it because they were afraid to talk about it themselves. John, Ballyvalan never used to be like this. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are things? How are you? I'm well. Um, excuse my voice, though, PJ. I'm under the weather a small bit. So, um, no, listen, I suppose the first thing you said there is that Ballyvalan is a good place. Um, it's where it's where I live. It's where many people live. It's where we socialise. It's where we work. It's where we volunteer. Um, but yeah, a couple of people have contacted me since. So I was contacted on Friday night um, about an incident that the the person was attacked. That person did contact the Gardaí, and because that's something that's come up regularly all weekends. Um, and I suppose the reason they contacted me was that when the person was attacked, which the Gardaí are now investigating, so there's not much I can say about it. But there was people drove by 
and the person who was attacked would just like those people to contact the Gardaí because they may have seen something. What happened where and when then? Um, again, it, without going into it too much because it's an investigation, is that it was by by the uh, the by the Glad Hurling Club, um, and three three young uh, three young guys attacked this 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 lady, um, and when she was being attacked, the two cars I think drove by, um, and kind of slowed down. So they may have seen something, and they're just if they have, then we we'd recommend that they get out of the garage. Oh, what but time since, then was this? Since, since I put up the, the Facebook post, uh, PJ, a lot of people have contacted. Um, so what we said to them is just contact the guards. Yeah. Um, you know, so look, is this, uh, um, uh, the, um, the girl who was attacked, um, again, um, it's, it's a suspected uh, broken jaw, um, but again, is going to hospital again today, and obviously is shook. Um, mm-hmm. But I suppose if anyone at this stage has anything... Um, again, as I said, without getting into it, because I don't want to harbour any investigation, but a lot of people have said to me, you know, I was in another place, very close to that, at a certain time, and I noticed these people, you know what I mean? So so there seems to be stuff coming in, and literally all I'm saying is that get straight onto the Gardaí, and, and even if you think it's only a small thing, yeah. um, get, you know, it's not a, the small things will be the big things at the end of the day, because they'll come together in a bigger picture. Um, but it's just, look, it's just unfortunate. Um, but I think at this stage, PJ, you know it, I know it, the dogs on the street know it, is that we need more Gardaí on yeah. our streets. I know that, that that you are being circumspect because you don't want to interfere in the, the details of art in the investigation, and that's as, as may be. But you did put some details on your, on, on your Facebook. I have other ones in front of me here now uh, from the Black po- the Belly Balan Notice Board. Two separate incidents. One reported uh, by up behind the Fox and Hounds. Uh, two young fellas, hoods up. There's a young boy walking ahead of them, about 13 or 14, phone in his hand, earphones in. I didn't like the look on his face. He looked scared and was walking fast. So I swung my Jeep around. By the time I got them to slow down, they were on either side of him. He looked terrified. He had his hands out. So I'm presuming they wanted his phone or something. That's one incident. Then... You know, other people then talking about taking a lead from the people of Drogheda and organising themselves in a group to show this, and I quote this, we love our area and are proud and want a peaceful neighbourhood where we can all walk and go about our business. I know you say we want more guards, John, and I guess it is as simple as that. We want more guards on the beat. But certainly there are a number of suspects that could be rounded up here. Well, there is. Listen, Peter, I don't, uh, listen, I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, and again... What I would say to to people is that um, every every quarter we have the the Battle of Alarm, um, safety the community safety forum, and um, where the guards come, where city hall comes, and to be fair, you know, I, I and many other elected representatives and many community people have gone to them, and they don't solve every everything, but they're a very good forum, um, to bring up fears and concerns. So we do have that, and um, the guards, when you do work with the guards, they're very good. But I mean, even even last week, um, after the, the threats that went up online, there was there was an increased visibility of Gardaí in in the general area, mm-hmm. I and mean, you could see it. People well, felt we got people reports. Felt better. Yeah, we got reports of the armed response unit around there all weekend up near uh, t- up near Tinker's Cross on Thursday, school collection time, and again yesterday afternoon, armed response unit seen in the vicinity of a road traffic accident. Yeah. Well, again, I I didn't see that PJ, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think you know. I don't think a presence uh, on our on our streets is a bad thing, you know. And again, 
I suppose it, it, this is this is this is this is going over old ground again. But if there are young people out there, you know, I think there needs to be an element as well too of where is little Johnny or little Mary. You know, I think I think parents need to need to mind mm. be, be mindful of where where their young their young kids are. Okay. Um, but the, but the majority again, this is a very important point. Is the majority, and you know, PJ, I work with a number of them. There's many of other youth groups out there. The majority of young young kids are good. The majority of the community in Ballavalan are hardworking, honest people mm. who want to get on with a day's work, go for a point, go for a run. Again, if you just just a couple of positives, 300 people running with the wibbly wobblies twice a week down oh, around Ballavalan. You'd see Shopping them, sure. You'd see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you see them absolutely. You know, so there's so much positivity here. But what we do need, though is that we do need to make people feel safe. And I'm canvassing the whole of Cork North Central from the from the top of Mourne Abbey to the Corrigan Road and Bishops and everything in between. And safety and crime is a big thing across the board. Well, well, certainly since the election was called, John, it is, I would say it's it's up there with the number one concern. Uh, health, obviously, and housing are huge. Health, this, housing and crime. But this is the too. biggest one for listeners to this programme anyway. And what is striking us as a team, John, is the number of people contacting us through various platforms off the air afraid, not unwilling, afraid to speak to me. That's, no, and, that's and, worrying. And, PJ, and, that's, and that's why, and to be, look, that's why when I, was, when I was contacted on Friday evening, that's why I put up the post because the person was afraid. Yeah. Um, and if you see, oh, I do a lot of things on social media, but this in this particular post, it's up to about 400 shares now. It's gone over 45,000 interactions. That has never happened to me. So I think that shows how much people are behind it and how much people are maybe sh- sharing this. The, 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 I suppose they're sharing their, their kind of, their, their, they're upset as well. And some of them are afraid, but others aren't. Um, and I know that by the messages I've got. But then what I say to anybody is get straight on to the Gardaí because at the end of the day, I'm just a counsellor. I'm not, you know, I'm not law and order. And that message and that information and that intelligence needs to go to our Gardaí. Okay. All right, John, leave it there for now. That's Councillor John Maher, of course, uh, Labour Party candidate in the uh, general election as well in Cork North Central. And I will give you the list once we've been through it. We'll have a couple more candidates on. I'll give you the list throughout the course of the morning. Uh, response times for Gardaí, I didn't get to ask, I forgot to ask him about that, but people are, are saying, how long was it till the guards came? Remember we asked that last week on the programme, you know, the last time you had cause to call the guards, how long did it take them to come? And we literally had responses, anything from a minute or two or a few minutes to an hour and a half. And I guess it was probably the same variation here. I will give you um, a readout of John's original Facebook post. He's unwilling to go into the details on the air because he doesn't want to affect the investigation, but his his Facebook post is still there. So I'll read that. Also, I'll uh, bring the information to you from the Kilcully meeting yesterday. The Kilcully relatives met yesterday afternoon in the Roebuck room, the function room at the Commons Hotel. And there was two particular elements of that meeting that I want to discuss with you this morning. One of them, a document that states seven years ago a commitment was made to sort this out and it was never done. That's all coming. 185715996 on the phone at 185715996. This is becoming an emergency. Uh, why don't they just try out the army and see if it makes a difference, even just while we wait for more guards? It would prove to the government that when there is boots on the ground... There, there has, it has an effect. The problem with this, 
and I'm going to say this again, and I'm blue in the face from saying it. To bring in the army, the guards have to ask the army to come in. It's under a piece of legislation called Aid to Civil Power. The guards have to ask the army to come in. The day the guards ask the army to come in is the day the guards admit they've lost. They're not going to do that. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie. So you've got a smartphone or tablet. Then get the must-have app. So you can take us everywhere. Download the Cork's 96FM app today. And listen to your favorite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts and get all the latest Cork news. And if you've a smart speaker, speaker. ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Play Cork's 96FM. Okay. On your phone, tablet, smart speaker, and radio. Turn up the volume. We are Cork's 96FM. Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Just let you know, some of the other stuff coming up uh, throughout the course of the morning. You know that uh, a young man appeared in court at the weekend charged in connection with the murder of Cameron Blair and also, of course, Cameron's funeral uh, took place yesterday in West Cork. Uh, Fiona Corker, our senior news reporter, will join me later in the morning to discuss the latest developments in that story. Yesterday afternoon, I went to the Commons Hotel in Blackpool, uh, or Commons Road, to listen to what the locals had to say about the Kilcully graveyard story. As we know, this story's been going on now since before Christmas, when graves were desecrated and battered and broken in a most despicable manner by somebody over a series of nights, and people were left devastated at the damage. And they've spoken on this programme about the damage to the graves and what was done. Yesterday afternoon was the second meeting organised by an action committee which has been set up among the residents to try to work with the county council or the city council rather, work with the city council and work with guards to try to get A, find out who did this and B, try to get some compensation for the uh, people affected and C, to make sure it doesn't happen again. I went to that meeting yesterday in the Commons and I spoke to a number of people including Laura who had chaired uh, the event. Well, Laura, you are a member of the committee and you chaired the meeting here today. Two things came out. First of all, that there's no question of a feud. That's been ruled out. Yeah. And secondly, a document from 2013. Let's deal first with the issue of the feud. What do you now know? We now know that it is um, the Garda Shikana is um, investigating one individual um, with severe mental health issues. Um, they're dealing with it. Um, they've they're following out. a definite line. They now. are. They are. They are. Um, so we're leaving that with uh, with the Garda Shikana to deal with that. But there isn't any. Uh, is it any something? Feud. Is it somebody that the committee know? Is it? Is it? And is it known to any of you? No, none of us know. No, okay. no. Um, they wouldn't be able to give us that information yeah. anywhere until there's even, a conviction. Even even around town, at the talk around place? 
Um, no, we haven't been told. Um, there's a lot of ch uh, Chinese whispers going around, and the guards aren't linking it to no, anything. No, no, they're not linking it to anything at all at the moment. Okay, okay. Now the other thing, a document from 2013, which was being discussed here today. Can you explain what that is? So there is um, in the 25th of February 2013, um, they passed a motion in the council um, for four graveyards. We now know. CCTV was put inside two graveyards. The audio notes, you know, to say that you are now entering private property and connected to the guard station have been given to two uh, graveyards. Two of the four council yeah. graveyards, yeah. 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 And the and other two? The other two, uh, we're not sure about the third, but we definitely know Kilcully didn't get it. So where's the money got? But it was allocated for Kilcully. It was, it was. And you have a document to show we that? We do have that, knock on, uh, we have it in the minutes. Um, anybody can get that if they look up Cork City Council, you know? So this, I know this energised people here in the room today, they're saying... If it was sanctioned in 2013, why wasn't it done? Why wasn't it done? And they're angry, and they, obviously a few in the in the crowds are disappointed, saying, "Is it that you gave it to all the south side and didn't give it to the north side?" So very disappointed. Very so disappointed. Coming back finally to the issue of who did it. What we've learned here today is the guards have a suspect, mm -hmm. they're investigating it, there is no feud. No, there isn't a feud, and they've arrested this individual. Okay. So uh, whether they can get a conviction is a matter for the guards of Shikana, and if he is convicted, it will be named, he will be named then. So what's your own name? My name is Neil Vorigan. And your brother's grave is affected? My brother's grave is out there. Um, it's heartbreaking. I just personally feel that the funding was passed a years back, and I'm actually quite shocked and quite upset that it's after coming to this that people's graves were destroyed. What, what kind of damage was done to your grave? Um, well, mine wasn't, my brother's grave wasn't directly, there was no headstones, broken stuff, but there were, you know, there's stuff robbed off it constantly, which causes great distress. My mother goes out to my brother's grave um, every day for the last 10 years. She hasn't missed a day. She goes out every day. And things like that, she, she cries. She cries every time something goes missing, you know, rosary beads. We can't buy nothing for there. But my point is, if there was something passed back in 2013, why hasn't it been passed and funded now? Lisa, you've talked to me on the air about your own family plots. To discover here this afternoon that money was put aside for this in 2013 and nothing ever done. But like, PJ, my main point here is like, this is our love, our loved one's grave. This is, it's down to us at the end of the day to protect our loved one's grave. And if Cork City Council can spend thousands and thousands of pounds on logos, on websites, on royal visits, it's about time they looked after the people on the north side, and especially our loved one's graves. And that's my main point here today. Our loved ones are at, they're at the final resting place. So there's a lot of angry people here today. My parents' grave was done in October. I know seven or eight other people's graves that was done. And from, my point of view, PJ, there's a lot of angry people at Cox City Council here today. Yeah, there'll be a march, or they're looking to get a march. Oh, we, we, we done it for the border charges, and we will certainly do it for our loved ones. We will bring Cox City to a shutdown if we have to. If we have to buy Cockle Cemetery and stop funerals going in there, I will personally do it myself, PJ. Cecilia, you've been here at the meeting this afternoon. Two things came out. First, the guards have a definite suspect in mind. Secondly, this agreement in 2013 to do the work. It was never done. It was never done in seven years. Years, and we're now being fudged off by being advised, give us more time to have more meetings, to put it forward again. You don't need to put it forward again with respect. You had the approval in 2013. Why delay it any more than seven years? Why do you think it wasn't done? Does anybody know? Well, no one's given me a concrete answer on that. I addressed the council on this 
and I was told I was being adversarial. The committee were told they were being adversarial. Now, they didn't at one point address the fact that Cork City Council, through their Director of Operations, said they had exceeded their duty of care. But I'm being adversarial. They haven't exceeded a duty of care. They've breached a duty of care. They had a duty of care in 2013. They had a fund allocation in 2013. If the money didn't go to Kilcoddy Cemetery and did go to two cemeteries on the south side, where did the money that was ring-fenced for Kilcoddy go? That question needs to be brought back to the executive. That's all these councillors have to do. They don't need to tell me about their meetings. They don't need to tell me what they had for breakfast. Go back to the executive find out what happened in 2013 and what can be done to remedy the, with the situation with immediate effect. I got a sense sitting at the back of the room that people felt that they were, felt because it's the north side and because it's working class people. Yeah, you know, PJ, I never really bought into those distinctions in the past, but from what I see now and from digging into this matter, two cemeteries on the south side received these, these very fancy CCTV cameras with voice over activation. And the cemetery on the north side didn't. The money was allocated. They wouldn't have put forward, they wouldn't, sorry, they wouldn't have approved that motion had they not checked the budget first. The guy in finance signed off on that before that was ever agreed. The other thing that has come out of the meeting here is that Gardaí have a suspect. They have spoken to somebody. There was a major effort being made here this afternoon to allay any rumours of a feud. Do you think that that will ease people's fears a bit or ease their, ease their minds a bit? I can't comment on the guard investigation. I'm not sure how much influence those, those Chinese whispers had, but certainly from what I hear, they were influential and they may have influenced people's appetites to actually speak up. That's Cecilia, also heard from Lisa and from Neve and from Laura from yesterday afternoon's meeting at the Commons. Now I have in front of me uh, a copy of the minutes of the ordinary meeting of Cork City Council on Monday the 25th of February 2013. These are publicly available documents. You can find them and have them. They're, they're public record. can be difficult to find them, but the relatives did manage to find this one. And on page 14 of those minutes, under section 746, uh, there was a review of policies and procedures to tackle antisocial behaviour. And under section 747, there was a discussion on vandalism of graves. And there were uh, two motions brought before the council at a previous meeting, one by councillor Mick Finn in the light of vandalism at St. Joseph's Cemetery. And also councillor Henry Kremen had uh, called for better security measures for the cemeteries uh, after a series of incidents of vandalism. And then this was the report back under the minutes, the report back in the minutes from the Director of Services. The appropriate Director of Services reported back to Council, as happens when you have a couple of motions come before. The last two paragraphs of this section 747 read, Installation of CCTV cameras with voiceover facilities and 24-7 monitoring is being advanced at all four cemeteries at present and should be completed within six to eight weeks. Cameras will be positioned at the entrances to all cemeteries and at other selected locations within each cemetery. This security measure will act as a deterrent to youths entering the cemeteries after dusk, along with providing continuous surveillance from dusk to dawn a backup patrol service will respond to any incidents detected and will call on the services of the Gadi, should that be necessary. So that is from February 2013. To read that line again, installation of CCTV cameras with voiceover facilities and 24-7 monitoring 
is being advanced at all four cemeteries and should be completed within six to eight weeks. Seven years later, Kilcully still doesn't have them. What happened? Why did the CCTV not go in? It was agreed to put it in. It was written in the minutes of the council that it was actually being installed at the time. It never happened. You can, you can see why people are a bit annoyed, to say the least, can't you? There is a meeting actually this evening, a peaceful protest outside City Hall, uh, be held at 5 o'clock today, asking people to give up one hour of their time. I know a lot of people are busy and have family responsibilities and so on, but really this is needed to ensure that the Cork City Council follow up and do exactly what they promised in February of 2013. This concerns everyone who has loved ones buried in Kilcully. Please bring a picture of your loved one to remind City Council that even though our loved ones are gone, they will never be forgotten. And remember, that was seven years ago. There have been two sets of local elections since then. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Coming up a bit later on this morning, we'll be catching up with the situation in China where this um, coronavirus is getting more and more worrying and it certainly seems to be headed our way quickly. And they'll be catching up with uh, Wuhan where it's on complete lockdown. You've never seen anything like it if you're watching the news over the weekend. But to, to matters closer to home for now and the general election, which is a week next Saturday... Uh, the 8th of February it is. And the latest opinion poll that came out yesterday in the Sunday Business Post had my next guest's party in around 2%. Catherine Murphy of the Social Democrats, he'd been kind of marooned on 2 3% for, for quite some time now. Good morning to you. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't tell the full story because uh, essentially we'll be contesting 20 yeah. constituencies and indeed there are 39 in the country. Um, the uh, opinion polls tend to, uh, tend to you know, be, the methodology can be an issue. Yeah. We have been really concentrating on a number of areas yeah. uh, and we're very hopeful of uh, winning somewhere between five and eight seats yeah. uh, and we think that's realistic. Um, given the numbers that we're looking at and the numbers are going to dictate what happens happens after the general election. Well, that's we would the hope point. To be if, you, if you had between five and eight TDs, given the way that the cards are likely to fall scattered, you'd probably be in a very powerful position come the 10th or 11th of February. Yes, I mean, obviously, you know, there's... I have to laugh at political commentators and political scientists and so on, or some political scientists, because some are excellent, um, uh, making predictions about what's going to happen. And essentially, really, at the end of the day, there's, uh, you know, there's two weeks to go. People are beginning to really make up their minds now. uh, And it'll be over two million people that will decide. Is it it, it not a fact, though, and I know the, uh, the, the commentary that you refer to, but is it not pretty much a, pretty much an absolute fact that we are looking into either a government led by Leo Varadkar or a government led by Michal Martin? That that is really about the only way it can happen. That um, that may be the case. There is a there is a potential of a progressive bloc. Um, um, whether or not there are the numbers for that will be determined mm. by the uh, by the citizens. But like one it's of, eighty, it'll be yeah, eighty votes. But, but one of, but one of the one of the uh, things that is really very obvious 
from from what we're finding from our candidates all all around the country, and indeed I'm finding it myself, is that um, that undecided block are very decided about what they're not going to do, mm. and there is a very clear. Um, it's not one of the two big parties. A very, there's a very there's a determination to have other options. Um, that you know that. And, and a lot of that is young people um, or people that are affected, for example, by housing, locked out of options that yeah. uh, that that are, their parents would have, you know, taken for granted. Um, you know, people looking at, at uh, the kind of precarious work, um, you know, in, in terms of yeah, what was... Indeed, that, yeah, that yeah. would have previously been available. And, in, and of course, you know, on health, um, people realise that yeah. we, we can't no. not invest in something like Slauncher Care. All of which, these issues were around in 2016 when you came back into government or back into the doll with three uh, three TDs uh, three Rockcliffe members in your first in your first general election um, and you could have gone and done a deal then and you could have had influence then Numbers are critically important as you've just talked about um, the reality of it is the numbers that the numbers that were available dictated that the only option was some combination of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. as it happened that was a confidence and supply arrangement mm. which is I think not something that most people indeed myself would favour um, the uh, it, it, it more or less distorted both government and opposition mm. um, and well it made uh, it impossible uh, to tell them apart yeah, and the thing about it is that it is you, you know we're seeing now people ruling themselves in and out we're keeping this very open but numbers do matter and uh, uh, we're very hopeful with the the candidates that we have we've like the like of Holly Cairns out in mm. uh, you, you know in uh, West Cork who is a, a fantastic can, candidate you're running one two three uh, four, four, yeah, um, four, four yeah we have Karen McCarthy yeah. who's based in Ballancolic and then we've two Cork City candidates in Sinead Halpin and Patricia O'Dwyer um the like of Holly, for example, is a you know a, a new progressive voice, mm. um, and uh, she's a, an organic farmer, and obviously the family have a have a uh, you know a business yeah. uh, side as well. So so essentially, she would bring something very unique. And I, um, I think every every party leader will sit in front of me and extol the virtues of of their candidates, and they're entitled and right to do it. But here's the thing: at the end of the day, when someone casts a vote in the ballot box on the eighth of February, for Holly or for anybody. They want to know what will that person do with my vote. I'm giving it to them, if they get elected, what will they do? So, for example, do you have a plan in mind as to who you're willing to talk to and who you're not willing yeah, to talk it's, to? Yeah, it's, uh, it's the approach that is the critically important thing for us. I mean, we feel that we have, we have to get our public services right and we look, look at things from a social democratic perspective. Mm. We're taking our inspiration from the Nordic countries who really run mm. their services well um, and uh, people pay their but taxes but they get their the services. No, no, it's the orientation of the government that will be important. If there's a, if there's a government, if there's a programme for government with a platform that is aiming to do that, we are willing to talk and we want to talk. Um, essentially, we would love to be in a government that would take that approach mm. because we have to do things differently. So the programme will be the critically important uh, part of, yeah. uh, of of our decision making. You know, yourself and, and Roisin are very seasoned politicians. Um, but if you were in government with a few younger new people, new faces, fresh faces around you. You heard the old story of Seamus Brennan, Lord be good to him. You're now playing scene in Hurling, lads. 
Do you think that some of your candidates in the field are ready for senior hurling if they had to play it? I do, yes. Um, I think we've got some excellent candidates right across the country. Um, and and people who have, you know, I mean, some of them have been on councils for some years. Mm. Um, and, um, you Could know, they make uncomfortable decisions? I believe they could, yeah. And I, and I believe we have to for this country. Um, everybody knows when you go into government, you can say what you want from the opposition benches. You can... Do whatever you like. And I think we. When I, you sit down around yeah, cabinet table, I, you've got to make hard look decisions. At, I think. Look at our track record. Just look at our track record. Um, and uh, like the like of of Roisin had the courage of her convictions in terms of of the 2011 government, mm. but then she put together an all party consensus, um, uh, and then Slonjaker came out of that, which was yeah. a committee she chaired. And now everybody so agrees. With so it. everybody agrees with that. That is a really productive uh, can it be done? thing. To, yes, it can be done. And not only can it be done, we can't afford not to do it. Mm. I mean, you know, you know here in Cork very well with th- things like, uh, you know, the trolley counts and mm. things like that. I don't, don't need to tell you that. We can't keep saying that. That is just not the way uh, mm. a health service should work. Um, but in terms of, I know that one of your posters, I, I spotted it on your website, one, one, of, your, one of your slogans, you, you have Slauncher Care and then you have uh, Ireland's NHS. Mm. And like in the NHS, it's not free. People pay for it. There's the money comes out of their out of their wage packet to pay for things like the NHS. So would that involve me putting more money from my pay packet? into the health system. We have to use the money that is there better. It is going to require an investment. All parties agree it's going to require an investment mm. to get Slauncher Care up and running. But after you get it up and running properly, there will be savings. We'll be, a- we'll be able to do things in a more efficient way. For example, a comprehensive primary care system would deal with, for example, uh, things like chronic illnesses like diabetes. Uh, we have nurses trained to university level now. Absolutely Absolutely no reason why you can't have a uh, have a nurse managing, uh, for example, chronic uh, chronic uh, illnesses like, as I say, diabetes. Trying to keep people healthy, trying to keep people out of mm. your uh, your A and E's, not letting it get to that point. It will require an upfront investment. Every one of us know that's mm. that. But Slaughter Care is the only game in town. Oh, I mean, anyone can sit down and read, and I give credit for this because anyone who sits down and reads the Slaughter Care proposal from start to finish can only but say, yeah, that makes fantastic sense. It has to be done, though. But having it written down and, and doing it is, is, is a long road. And you, because it was effectively Roshin's idea for a stay, you would need to be in around a cabinet table to do it, which would involve taking hard decisions. And I come back to my question, your younger, more experienced members, would they be able to stay there and say, I didn't really want to do this, but... Look, at every party is going to bring in new people. You know, we need fresh eyes. Mm. We And we have people with, with fantastic experience, um, different experiences, um, and experiences that relate to, to, you know, how life is lived here at yeah. the moment. So, you know, I, I have no doubt that we have people of that calibre. Um, and indeed, you know, we've never been afraid to call things out. We've never been afraid to uh, confront, for example, vested interests, which is something that um, I think we're going to need to do if we're going to make changes. Let's bring one or two of the of the issues that are coming up on the programme. We put those headphones on, uh, Catherine. I have a couple of audio clips that, that I want to play for you. Interestingly enough, you've mentioned health. Uh, and this is a conversation that Deirdre had when she was um, covering for the show, for me on the show before Christmas. This was Deirdre talking to 17-year-old Kira about her own health issues. 
I've had autoimmune uveitis since I was six and I just recently developed rheumatoid arthritis and was only diagnosed with it about a month and a half, two months ago. And what's, what's uveitis? I'm not familiar with that as a it condition. It is um, an autoimmune disease that affects the eyes. So it is inflammation of different layers in the eyes and mm. it um, can damage the vision and it can cause other complications like going blind or developing cataracts and like glaucoma and stuff. It's people like me who are being really, really seriously affected. Like happens to be on immune suppressants and go into general A&E. I mean, it's so dangerous. Like it, it's really, really dangerous because the irony is if I do catch something and do develop an infection then I can't actually take my immune suppressants and my autoimmune diseases become more active because I can't take the immune suppressant and because the immune system is actually fighting something the autoimmune disease you know um, works a lot faster. Like she doesn't need a plan she needs action and action now what would you what would you do for her what would the social democrats in government do for her? Well, obviously, there needs to be a, a stabilisation um, in relation to um, in relation to healthcare at the moment. While we moved to while we moved to Slongecare, but Slongecare will happen quicker if we invest in it immediately or in a much more um, you know upfront way. Um, that we should see we should see improvements uh, quickly. Mm. Um, like like Kira needs help now. She does. Yeah. Yeah. No, like not yeah. in a year's time, not in two years' time. Yes. Um, and 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 essentially there. We have let we have let the situation get to a point that she is having to go and talk to you on a radio uh, radio program about uh, you know about what her healthcare needs are. Um, and, and she's one of dozens. Oh, um, dozens it's not dozens. It's not dozens. It, we're talking about. I mean, there's um, there's a, a million Hundreds. people on on waiting lists, whether it's therapies or 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 for hospital treatment, um, and that is a, a, a crisis point that has to be managed. Uh, but we also have to um, we also have to plan for the future. In addition to dealing with the the crisis that's there at the moment, mm. um, some of that is in, encouraging some of our um, nurses and, and doctors not to emigrate. Mm. Um, uh, and um, that is but that's I'm, a challenge, sure. and it's got to, they've yeah. got to have hope yeah. in the system that is going to be a system that they feel works. That will be a way of encouraging them in. Okay, let's move on to another issue: uh, crime. Um, and as you know, in the last couple of months, um, we, we've had a desperate run of it here in Cork. Uh, Dublin's had its problems, but we've had a desperate run of it. With we had the the murder of young Cameron Blair, we have had the murder of Timmy Howrahan kicked to death and, is, and, and, and beaten up a homeless man. We had uh, an, uh, five or six high-profile deaths. Last week, we had a man dragged out of his bed, beaten with iron bars, uh, and set, on, set a light in front of his girlfriend. We have a very, very serious problem. Stephanie spoke to me on the show uh, last week uh, following yet another incident, and, and she said she's now afraid to let her children out. Well, I mean, I'd be afraid to leave my children outside the door, you know? I, my older children, I'm always saying, if they're up in my place, I'll drive them home. I won't leave them go back home on their own. So no, it's just, I wouldn't leave, I wouldn't walk out in the street on my own even. Would you not? No. And there's another thing I want to play for you. This is another very prominent uh, video that went viral in the in the last week. Again, uh, in, in in our city and people living in fear of this kind of thing. This is going out to the Stokes is above a Nahini site above Nahini above. This is the captives here from Cork. Now listen here, boys. 
You're getting away with little bits and pieces around the law, but you're getting away with it more, right? We're Cathy's and Cork. We don't give a f with no one. You don't know who you're messing with. I promise you, you're putting up bits and pictures above around Facebook. Facebook, you're putting up pictures by the way, you're this and you're that. Listen, the ideas are fair goals. He won't get fair goals off us, and I promise you that. And if any man get involved with you, they'll get in his way, and I promise you that. That was recorded on the north side of Cork City in the past week. And again, Catherine, people are living in fear and they will be asking your candidates and others, what are you going to do about that? Yeah, I think there are issues that are that that there is only a law enforcement response to, and we're hearing some of those. We ha- we're, we're, we almost make a national pastime out of creating problems and then resolving them instead of uh, dealing with them at a much earlier stage. And then you give, uh, for example, you we saw it in Limerick, for example, with a very small number of people who gave a city that didn't deserve it a very bad name. We're seeing it in Drogheda at the moment, and I. I you know, people pe- people in other parts of the country will be conscious of what you're talking about in Cork. We see those incidents. And uh, essentially what we have to get to is well, you need to get to a point where you, you have the, the law enforcement response where you have uh, those very, very serious crimes. But you also have to have a proactive type of policing uh, where you uh, you stop that further down the food chain. You don't allow it to get to that point. You can't overstate well, it's at that point. No, now, so I, what no, do you do no. To bring that it back there is there the... is only a law enforcement response when you get to that point, and it, there, you need to have the resources to deal with that, and that needs to that, and that needs to happen. There's mm. no two ways about that, but you you also have to stop it getting to that point by having. Uh, visibility, having police on the ground, but also investing in uh, youth facilities. Um, you you know where uh, where you can divert the, yeah. that. So, you know. so if, for argument's sake, you had the Department Department of Justice tomorrow, what will you guys do? Yes, I think the reframing of um, of you know certainly the um, the community guards is a I think a significant and important part of what the guards do it's we d- we don't resource it well enough getting to know people on the ground is the old traditional way of doing things and that needs to happen as well as dealing with the areas that have got out of control so would you be bringing in loads of community guards yeah I, I do think that that is uh, where you where your the new recruitment has to be deployed um and it does give people a lot of confidence when they actually see that visibility. It's really important. Well, what we have learned over the, over the Christmas time when we got an allocation, uh, basically it was mostly for traffic control, but over, over the Christmas there was more people in town. And on, on the nights that it was a lot of Gardaí, people were saying town is more peaceful. So clearly that, that visibility needs to be there. We need more, we need more guards. Just a couple of things that have come in. And, and this now is from um, Vanessa, who would be a member of People Before Profit. So that's just... And, and canvassing for them in, in West Cork. She said, my question to Catherine Murphy is, how do you answer the accusation that Social Democrats are Labour light and they'll be swallowed up by the main parties if in government? Will they rule out coalition with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael? The track record of Social Democrats is ex-Labour Rosie and Shortall 
who implemented austerity, and Stephen Donnelly that jumped to Fianna Fáil first chance he got. How can we be sure the Social Democrats won't be the next Green Party or the next Labour Party? Long question. Look, the thing about it is that we're very determined on the approach that this country should go in. Um, we have developed policies over the last few years. Um, we've proven our track record in relation to Slauncher Care. I've proved my track record, for example, in calling things out, not being afraid to speak up, mm. not losing your voice when you get there. Um, and I, I would say, listen to or pay attention to what we've done. We mm. want more of that. But, but on, on the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael thing... Uh, we're not ruling anyone out because I tell you why um, we won't be the ones that will be deciding who we will uh, who will be available to work with. Um, we we want solutions and we want to contribute to those solutions. Um, you know, would I like to pick you know eighty three people myself and decide they're the ones I want to work with? Of course I would. That is not what democracy is about. Democracy is about respecting what mm. people vote for and trying to work as best you can with that. It's the approach of it's the approach that will be the important thing for us. If it was a thing that um, you could put together eighty three people without anyone from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Is that doable, given the huge diversity of what's on the other side of the house? Do you think? It's going to come down to numbers. Um, at the yeah, end of the, the day, it, there, all, it, it always comes down to numbers. Um, whether or not there are enough candidates running, um, you know, I mean, there's some progressive independents, mm. there are, you know, there are people That's what from I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm making all these assumptions, which I probably shouldn't do, but I am, that... If you have the 82 or 83 that you need to elect a Taoiseach other than Michal Martin or Leopold Adkar, do you believe that the will would be there among that very diverse group to pull, to pull together? It may well be. Um, it may well be, but I, I think people are craving something different. It may well be that that's an election away, but we're moving in that direction. Um, but we... In, we have we have a responsibility as well to uh, deliver, um, you know, on the services. Mm. We want to be able to look at, at 2030. We've just started this new decade. We want to be able to look at 2030 and look back and say, this is the doll that make the dif- makes the difference. Now, if people want to change, they should vote for it. There's, and, there's, you know, a, there's a leaders debate tonight in Nimerick. Um, a and two are taking legal action because they, they say they should not be left out of it. Uh, do, would you support them being brought back in, e- even at this late stage? The the uh, reality of it is that um, it, 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 RTE have a particular fixed, um, you know, they have a fixed uh, protocol that yes, they work they to. Yes, they do, but as the leader of another party, would you... Well, look, would we, have no, we have no difficulty with um, all voices being heard. Okay. okay. So you'd support you'd, you'd support Intu's right to be there? Look... All voices should be heard, and um, in fact, I think the leaders' debate last week, I think, proved that. Okay. Finally, do you think politicians are paid too much, and and would you take a pay cut? Um, look, we're we're paid well. We should do the job. Uh, I think the what bothers people more than anything is the uh, abuse of allowances. Um, and I've looked for I've looked for changes where it where it's mattered there at the house at the house directors commission. Um, I'm looking for an independent um, uh, approach rather than politicians writing our own rules. And we should be benchmarked against other um, other professions. So that's the approach that I've taken. Okay. Listen. Good luck to you and to all of your candidates. Uh, co-leader of the. Uh, 
Social Democrats. Catherine Murphy, thank you very much. You, uh, Social Democrats running uh, running uh, Councillor Holly Cairns in Cork South West, Kieran McCarthy, Cork Northwest, Sinead Halpin, Cork North Central, Patricia O'Dwyer in Cork South Central. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas, and kiln dried wood. Open late, seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. 1850 715 996 text 083 396 96 96 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie uh, Thanks for all your texts and whatsapps with regard to, uh, with regard to Catherine Murphy and um, PJ there's a way of fixing the guard the force in Cork that's by taking some of the day shift guardy put them on at night there's also too many that are doing clerical work we need a big force by night it's when most of the problems are happening on that tape that I played again from last week, I don't think you should be playing the call-out so much. It's only adding fuel to the fire. Fair enough on the first day to inform people, but you're only inflaming the situation, repeating it so often. Caller, I'm putting it to the politicians in the course of a general election because this is one of the things that has people living in fear. And if I have to play it to them a hundred times to get a reaction, I'm going to do it because I need to know what they're going to do about that kind of thing. When you have someone like Stephanie telling me... Well, I mean, I'd be afraid to leave my children outside the door, you know. I, my older children, I'm always saying, if they're up in my place, I'll drive them home. I won't leave them go back home on their own. Do you know? It's just, I, wouldn't leave, I wouldn't walk out in the street on my own even. Would you not? No. See, people, people are living in fear. That's why we play out that kind of tape. Now, uh, Richard wants to know why I didn't ask either Brendan Howland or Catherine Murphy about pensions. Well, we will be bringing that up with the, the Tarnishta and indeed with Michal Martin when they visit us over the next couple of weeks. It is one of the big issues of the election campaign. It's for older people, I guess, but we'll all be there one day. We'll all be relying on a pension one day. I was only talking to a good friend of mine over the weekend and he said it's for him and he's a younger man than I am it's it's one of the biggest things in the election for him he's absolutely livid that he should work until 65 years of age and anyone would tell him no sorry after paying into the system for 40 odd years you cannot now have your pension so it is a big thing and we will address it at some point there's a breaking story um, Zara King has tweeted uh, a Chinese student who travelled from Wuhan is in isolation in Waterford as a precautionary measure today. Uh, that's been confirmed by Waterford IT to Virgin Media News. The student arrived in Waterford yesterday, having left Wuhan some days ago before the city was shut down. He has agreed with WIT as a precautionary measure to stay in isolation until further notice. He's not sick, not showing any symptoms, but as a precaution is staying in isolation in his accommodation in Waterford City. That's the latest on the Wuhan situation. Catching up there very shortly. But first of all, I want to go to the murder and the funeral of Cameron Blair. Cameron laid to rest yesterday in a huge funeral in West Cork and a heartbreaking funeral watching the, the television news reports. But also, uh, over the weekend, a young man has appeared in court charged with the murder of Cameron Blair, who was stabbed in the neck last Thursday week. And our senior news correspondent, Fiona Corkin, can bring us up to, de- up to, the, to date. Fiona, good morning to you. Um, I need, need to get to Fiona there, guys. Um, 
Can, can you get, get on to her and see what... She's hearing me about 15 seconds behind me. Okay, we'll get, we'll, get to, we'll get to Fiona there in just a moment. But that young man appeared in a Cork District Court charged with the murder of Cameron Blair. Uh, evidence was given of arrest, charge and caution. And then yesterday afternoon there was that very large... Very large uh, funeral down in in West Cork. Also, while before I go back to that, can I just take this opportunity now that I have uh, a, a minute or two? Could I just point out that there was a massive turnout Saturday afternoon down in Ballinacurra in East Cork for the unveiling of the monument to Edward Bransfield? You heard Eugene talking about it here on the show on Friday. Uh, the the committee were blown away by the turnout of several hundred people. It was incredible uh, to see such a big crowd in Little Ballinacurra on a Saturday afternoon in January. So they were delighted with that and they wanted me through their Piero Eugene. Uh, contacted me there just over the weekend to thank everyone who turned up. All right, well, Fiona's back on the telephone. Fiona, good morning to you. Now, tell us what happened at the court over the weekend. Yes, PJ. Well, the last time I spoke to you about this case was on Friday and we knew that a teenager had presented himself at Toker Garda Station on Thursday morning. Now, on uh, Friday night at nine o'clock, there was a special sitting of Cork District Court and that teenager um, was brought to court. And we heard from Detective Garda Rory O'Connell that he was formally charged at Toker Garda Station on Friday evening with the murder of Cameron Blair at Bandon Road on the 16th of January last um, and he told the court that the 17-year-old, who we can't name at this stage because he is a minor, that he made no reply to the charge. Um, an application was made to have him remanded to Oberstown Detention Centre and it was confirmed to the court at that point that there was a place available there for him. Um, his solicitor, Eddie Burke, said that they couldn't apply for bail at the district court um, and we know that in any kind of a, a murder charge that um, any kind of bail application has to be made to the high court. Eddie Burke also applied for free legal aid because he said the teenager isn't working and has no income. Um, now, Judge Olin Kelleher granted the legal aid and he agreed to remand the teenager to Oberstown Detention Centre until next Friday. Um, and next Friday he'll be appearing before the Children's Court in Cork City. Um, Eddie Burke also asked that he receive any medical attention that might be needed while in detention. The youth himself was in court. He was wearing a black puffer jacket, black tracksuit bottoms, and he remained silent for the very short hearing. It only lasted for a couple of minutes. Mm. Um, and members of his family were also in court, and you know, obviously they were very upset and distraught, um, visibly so in the court. And um, yeah, as I said, it was a very short hearing. PJ it only lasted for maybe three to five minutes, and um, that teenager will be back before the children's court on Friday. Okay. Now, the funeral of Cameron Blair took place yesterday afternoon down mm. in West Cork. That's right. And, um, you know, you have seen from the photographs this morning or some of the video footage on the, the TV last night, uh, crowds and crowds of people came out to that funeral service yesterday in Bandon at St. Peter's Church. And we saw crowds of people standing outside because they just couldn't get into the church. Um, and uh, the Mass was led by chaplain of Bandon Grammar School, Reverend Anne Scoos, and she would have known him uh, from his time at the school. And um, she spoke about how his tragic death had broken the hearts of his parents, Cathy and Noel, and his brother Alan, as well as the hearts of his friends and the whole community. And she said that um, Cameron had um, within his soul a deep kindness and care for others, a generosity of spirit. And Peter, we've heard that from so many people over mm. the past week since his death. You know, you even spoke to people there on Friday yes. who 
spoke about incidents where he had other teenagers with issues like bullying and he had, he had zero tolerance for bullying, bullying and mm. he all often helped people who he saw being bullied. That's right. He was kind of described as a peacemaker that he would have always kind of stepped in and helped people and try and um, sort out problems and, and, and rouse and issues and stuff. And that was all um, um, Reverend Schools had said that, um, you know, that people had paid um, kind of, that so many tributes to him since his death and that's, that was the recurring theme, the kindness and the generosity of spirit um, that he had. And um, without drawing any attention to himself, he did these acts of kindness without looking for any you know, spotlight to be put on himself. He was just doing it out of kindness. And Bandon Rugby Club, um, they formed a guard of honour outside the club as um, his body was taken past yesterday. And also students from Bandon Grammar School um, had a guard of honour outside the school. And there was a guard of honour outside the church yesterday as well. And that was formed by Bandon from um, students from Banton Grammar School and Hamilton High School. So, um, you know, I think as well for uh, Cameron's family, um, today is going to be a very sad day because, as anybody knows, after the death of somebody, you know, you have the whole planning of the funeral and people around. But, you know, today now it's going to really hit home. So, you know, people, friends and family are asked to really rally around and support them, and they have been doing so, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Just a very upsetting time well, for that. Desperately sad time for, for, for that family, yeah. indeed. For, for anyone who knew him, his friends and relatives and his, all his college colleagues. Fiona, thanks very much for that. That's Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, on the latest developments in the case of the murder of Cameron Blair, young man remanded in custody to Oberstown until next Friday and then the funeral taking place yesterday afternoon 1850 Now, Bosco, I don't know whether... See, I'm, you're very conscious in these times, these yeah. modern times. Yeah. What do you actually identify as, gender-wise? Well, I'm a Bosco. A Bosco? Okay, is that, yeah, is that a, a new one? Yeah. No, you see, like, it's the kind of world I live in that everybody is equal. Yeah. And that's very important to me, so I'm a Bosco. So LGBTQB Casey and Ross in the morning with Stella Line, where something big has arrived to the Irish Sea. Stella Estred, now sailing from Dublin to Holyhead. See StellaLine.ie. Corks 96 This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Corks 96 FM. Just a quick mention. Um, Just a reminder today is International Holocaust Day. Uh, Remembering all those who died, especially in Auschwitz. Thank you from Sarah. Uh, also a lot of Roma people and gay men who were killed in the camps it wasn't just the Jewish people there were tens and thousands of people killed I reckon, I was listening to a report on this last night, they reckon that a million to a million and a half people may have died at Auschwitz it doesn't bear, it just doesn't bear thinking about it, you can't even comprehend that but today is the day and, and thank you to Sarah for mentioning that to us 
the opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with your update on Corks Live Scene. Tom Walker, Tom Grennan, Hudson Taylor, Kneecap and Just Mustard are some of the new names added to Indie 20 this week, taking place at Deer Farm in Mitchellstown on August Bank Holiday Weekend. They join the likes of Stereophonics and Sigrid at this year's festival with weekend tickets on sale now. Sharon Shannon, Francis Black and Mary Coughlin unite for a unique show bringing together their collective talents. The three performers are some of the most successful female artists ever in Ireland, having performed and recorded together as part of the successful Woman's Heart album and tours. It takes place on Thursday, February 19th at the Opera House. Access all areas. If you have a gig show or exhibition coming up in Cork in the next few weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas. You can mail us on AAA at 96FM.ie and we'll tell Cork all about it. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Imagine being told by your doctor that you have type 2 diabetes. A lot of people here have that conversation with their doctor every week. It's, it's more common, far more common, in fact, than you might think. Two of my own friends have had that conversation with their doctor in the recent 12 to 18 months. Barbara Scully had that conversation with her doctor only last year, and she wrote about it in the Irish Independent, about how she'd just been told that, you know, you've got type 2 diabetes, and she tweeted over the last few days that she's managed to shake it off. We're always told you can, and you did, Barbara. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, PJ. How you doing? How did you do that? Well, first of all, let's, let's go back. I mean, yeah. you were in reasonable health, were you? Uh, well, <laughs> I now realise I was probably in denial about my reasonable health, in inverted commas. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had no obvious symptoms. Um, I was uh, clearly I was overweight. Um, I had a very sedentary lifestyle, um, so I ticked a lot of the boxes. And uh, last summer, as I normally spent um, a week or two down in beautiful West Cork during the summer, and last summer when I was there, I realised after a week of sitting on my ass in West Cork, I was still absolutely exhausted. Mm. And that was the red flag that made me go to the doctor. And to cut a very long story short, before I actually went to the doctor, I had been on with Dr. Google. And I had realised that I ticked an awful lot of the boxes for diabetes, which is uh, overweight, sedentary lifestyle, family history, um, and, and a few other kind of minor things. So I kind of had a fair idea by the time I got to the doctor what was coming down the tracks, and I was right. Um, even though my doctor didn't think I was necessarily right, because I'd had a full medical 18 months prior to that. Yes. and my blood seemed to be reasonably okay. He would have always said your glucose is a little bit high, so just watch it. Um but in the in the intervening eighteen months, I had developed type two diabetes. So um, yeah, it was it wasn't a shock, uh, but it was a wake up call. It was definitely a wake up call. Mm. <clears throat> and you, we hear that in its early stages, it is reversible. Did you have it, that conversation there and then? 
No, and it's one of the things that I feel very strongly about, and, and, I, and I should preface my remarks by saying I am very fond of my GP. He's, he's a terrific doctor, and he's done all kinds of wonderful work um, for me and my family. But um, in this particular instance, it probably wasn't um, the, the, the surgery's finest hour. I was sent out, you've got diabetes, here's a number to phone um, of the HSE who do these workshops and that you can join in this workshop and you'll get all the information you need. And here's two prescriptions um, and go and get them filled. Um, so I kind of bounced out of the surgery, really not knowing how to begin sorting myself out. When I rang the number of the HSE, and they do these workshops for people who've been newly di- diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, which is meant to go through all the lifestyle changes you need to make and put you in touch with a dietitian and, you know, provide all the support that you might need. This was in mid-August. And when I rang that number, the next um, workshop in my area, and it actually wasn't really in my area, but anyway, would have been October. Right. Um, and I knew, I know myself well enough to know that had I left it till October in order to start making the changes that I needed to make, by October the shock value of the diagnosis would have worn off and I would have gone, you know what, I'm grand, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, so I knew I needed to get started immediately. Mm. So again, through through a friend of mine who, who had been down a similar road, she said to me, get your doctor to refer you to the diabetic unit in Dunleary in St. Michael's Hospital. And that was what made all the difference uh, because that I spent a morning down there with a couple of weeks and I was uh, we had a morning with a dietitian and a diabetic nurse Um, and um, I had already started to make the changes I mean obviously the first thing you have to do is cut out sugar and I hadn't realized that I had become quite a sugar addict Mm. Um, I gave up this is gonna make me sound really ridiculous I gave up alcohol about three years ago because of migraines and I think I had substituted the alcohol with cakes and ice cream and chocolate and various things like that. So mm. my, my sugar intake had definitely gone up and I love dessert. And like, would you be a habitual consumer of these things every no, day? No, no, well, here's my say, no, no, yes. Um, yeah, I probably would have. Like in the evening, sitting on the sofa, watching telly, that's when you do all that. Everybody yeah. says it. The unconscious eating, and it would be, I'll just go out. I, I love baking, so there would nearly always be ice in the house. Mm-hmm. So I'll just have a little a little slice of cake, which was never that little, yeah. with my cup of tea. Or I'd going, have I don't even want this, and yet I do. Well, you did. I actually did, and oh, did I really you? enjoyed it. Yeah, and I never really thought there was a problem because I was healthy. I was vegetarian, you know. I'm healthy. I'm good. I don't drink. Yeah, I'm healthy. I'm good. And I wasn't healthy. And, I mean, I, I now realize with the benefit of hindsight, there were things that I was starting to have problems with, but I was putting it down to my age. And I'm not that old. I'm 58 um, uh, instead of my weight. And, actually, it was my weight. Like, my knees were starting to give me jip. I, my ankles occasionally would be sore. Um, you know, if I was sitting in a low chair, I would find getting out of it a bit hard. And I thought, oh, arthritis, you know, it's just my age. Mm. It wasn't. It was because I was too fat. Now, I mean, I'm not enormous, but I mean, I was too fat. And um, That's a word we don't use these days, That, but, but you've chosen to use it. Yeah, no, I was. And I mean, I don't think anybody who's fat thinks they're not fat. I mean, I knew I was fat. But I was all about the body positivity. I was all like, yeah, I don't mind. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. I don't want to be judged on how I look. I'm fine. And I, I still would be all about body positivity. But we have to realize that there is a big difference between body positivity and your health. Um, and it was impacting my health. Mm. Um, and, you know, I mean, if, if I, I would have never admitted this six months ago. But, I mean, if I had to walk any distance, breathlessness was beginning to kind of creep in. I would avoid going upstairs because I knew I'd be kind of red in the face and looking like as if I needed oxygen by the time I got up a couple of flights of stairs. 
And so you stop doing things mm. because you feel you can't. And so the whole thing is like a vicious circle and it gets worse. Mm. Um, and I mean, you know, every so often I'd go for a walk and I'd think I was great. Um, but I realized when I got the diabetes, um, I realized, number one, I had to start exercising every day. I had to do, and I, I decided myself, 45 minutes of exercise uh, six days a week. And I have stuck to that um, since the middle of October. What kind of exercise? Well, that's a very good question because you'll get hit by, when you get a diagnosis like this, lots of people will give you lots of advice, which is great and very useful and very helpful. But I think it's really important that you know yourself what's going to suit you and equally what isn't going to suit you. So, I mean, in the past, you know, when I've tried to do something, which I never really tried that hard, but I would walk and I find walking really boring. Mm. So what I do now is I, I walk, but I don't walk every day. I sometimes walk and I vary the walks. I don't always walk the same route, which was the thing I did before as well, which used to bore, bore me to tears. I do different walks. Um, By walk, walk, do you mean walk or pound the road? Well, that's a good question because, again, because of my ankles and my knees very early on in this, I realized I couldn't pound the roads because I'd go out and I'd pound for like five minutes and then my knee would be sore and my ankle would be sore mm. and I'd be hobbling back. And I, I just met um, Dr. Niall Moyna from, um, from DCU um, at an event and I mentioned this to him and he said to me, Barbara, you don't need to pound, just move, just walk. Walk at whatever pace is comfortable for you at the moment. Mm. And that was the best advice ever. So I don't, and I still don't pound. Now, I walk reasonably briskly, mm. but I don't, I don't pound. I just keep moving. And that's the most important thing. So I walk, I, I go to the gym. And again, like, I mean, if anybody had said to me six months ago that I'd be going to a gym, I would have laughed at them. Because the gym, the whole idea of a gym terrified the living daylights out of me. Um, but I found our local community gym. Um, and they were very, I, I rang up one day and I went up and I, I, I spoke to one of the, the girls who worked there and she took me around the gym and we went through all of the machines. And I mean, I literally was you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now. But I realize what's at home. Oh no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But yeah, no crate, no pee-pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? <sighs> get Pet Essentials from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. I hadn't a clue what to do with any of them. I could only do a couple of minutes on all of them. And now I'm in the gym maybe twice a week as well. For 45 minutes. Um, and I started swimming sometimes, um, although I haven't done that. Now in a pool, not out in the sea, in a yeah. pool. 
Um, I don't. I haven't done that too much over the winter because I don't like coming out with wet hair in the cold. And I got a bike, and I've started to to do a bit of cycling. But forty five minutes six times a week, mm. and it's lost weight. Huge difference. I've lost nearly two stone. Right. Um, my portion sizes were well out of control. And the other thing I didn't realize either was the fact that I knew sugar and cutting out obvious sugar is very easy. You know where that is: the cakes and the sweets and all the rest of it. But what I didn't realize was the relationship between carbohydrate and sugar. Um, so, And I was eating, and I'm very fond of carbohydrates, so I was eating too much pasta, too much rice, too much potatoes, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I halved, basically, my portion sizes immediately. Was that hard? It wasn't easy, but you know what's the hardest thing? I mean, I didn't go around feeling starving all the time. My biggest problem was overcoming my own mind because I realize now that like food was quite an obsession with me. I spent a lot of time thinking about food. I, if I had a bad day, my answer was food. If I had a good day, my answer was food. You know, mm-hmm. I had a great day today, let's order Chinese. I had a bad day today, let's order an Indian. Um, so it was, it was trying not to think about food as much as I thought about food. And mm-hmm. small things like, I mean, I would regularly meet people for coffee. And I would have always had something to eat with the coffee. I would have never just had a cup of coffee. Yeah. Now I just have a cup of coffee. And I'm fine with that because a lot of the eating we do is for lots of different reasons, but it's not because we're hungry. Um, and I mean, you know, I, 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 I would have never thought six months ago that I could have changed yeah. as much as I did. So you but now I, exercise <laughs> six days a week. You are down to two stone odd and you've oh. changed your diet and you've changed your portion size. You went back to the doctor. I had my first visit with the consultant actually, um, and last last week, and I was really nervous because the blood test that they do um, to diagnose diabetes and the blood test that I did in advance of this is a three. It, it measures your blood sugar levels over the previous three months, and those previous three months included Christmas and my birthday. And on both occasions, I did didn't go mental, but I broke a few rules. Mm. So uh, my weight loss had stalled as well as kind of like just over a stone and a half over Christmas. So I I was a bit nervous going down and um but I went down and I heard he said to me my blood sugar level was back in the normal range. Um and he said basically you've put your diabetes in remission. Um, which means he doesn't need to see me again. I just need to go to my GP every six months and have a blood test done to make sure that um I'm keeping up the good work and, and uh, that my blood sugars are still okay. How does that feel? Um, I was the relief was huge. Um, um, I was really, really pleased, and I was very relieved. And one of the things that I think is really important is that a lot of people, diabetes gets lost in the whole conversation about obesity. And if you're fat, every time somebody mentions obesity and a crisis and everything else, your mind turns off because you don't really want to deal with this. And I think that's why the whole diabetes conversation gets lost somewhere. And I also think then that people think, you know what, it's not that serious. You take some medication and you're grand. But diabetes can be a very serious disease if it's not controlled. Mm. Because having too much sugar in your blood um, will damage your organs eventually. And I saw that literally when I dropped sugar, which I did overnight as much as I could, um, within two weeks my eyesight had gone completely weird. Um, and I had to get new glasses um, and everything else. Now, it, it went back over a short, uh, over a kind of two months after that. It kind of went back to where it always was. Right. 
But I, it really was a clear uh, indication to me that the, the amount of sugar in your blood does have an effect on your body. Um, and so if you don't control your diabetes, you are going to have heart problems, kidney problems, problems with your feet and problems with your eyesight. And that's the scary thing. And that's, I mean, the good news is diabetes is one of the few diseases that you can control yourself with lifestyle. You don't mm. need medication if you can change your lifestyle and get it back on track. Um, and that's what I've done. Now, the bad news is, obviously, it doesn't mean that I can go back to being the kind of dessert diva I was. So it means I've got to keep up this healthy lifestyle. But I feel 10 years younger. Are you used to it yet? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, How long yeah, did I that am. take? Um, probably about three months, I would say. Mm. Three months. Now, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there are still days when I come home and I go, oh, my God, I have to do exercise. Oh, my God, I don't want to do exercise. Um but I think the key is having a choice of three things that I can do. I can go out on the bike, I can go up the gym, you know, or I can go for a walk. Um, and that makes a huge difference. Deciding to do your exercise at a time that suits you rather than at a time that everybody else tells you is a good idea. Like most normal people exercise first thing in the morning. I've just finished school runs after 30 years of doing school runs. I was not going to set an alarm an hour early so that I could get up and go for a bloody walk. So I decided to do it in the evening when I would normally be lounging on the sofa. Yeah. And that has worked for me. Um, so I think a lot of it is, is realizing what works for you. Um, and equally what's not going to work for you because that's the way that you'll make changes that you can stick with. Um, so, yeah, I feel very lucky. I feel very lucky and uh, that diabetes gave me the kick I needed because if I hadn't developed diabetes, I was heading for trouble one way or another. How um, many of us do you think, I say us is just, uh, well, are actually harboring it and don't realise because that's what you were doing. You were harboring it and didn't realise. I didn't realise it, no. Now, I would say there's a lot of people out there um, uh, walking around with, uh, with uh, on the edge of diabetes. And if you're overweight, and you know if you're overweight, if you're overweight, if you're fat, if you've got a sedentary lifestyle, if you're not exercising, you know, you possibly, I had a family history as well, but you possibly, you know, are going to head for trouble. And I think that once you get to middle age, you have got to make the changes now if you don't want to be decrepit as you go into the the later uh, years of your life so i feel very lucky i mean i turned 58 years ago and i remember thinking okay i am actually now going to work on getting fitter i'm going to work at dropping weight and i didn't do it i became a grandmother two and a half years ago and my grandchild lives in australia and i remember thinking okay i need to be fit and healthy so that i can go to australia whenever i can to see her i don't want to be a fat old granny who can't do anything i want to be able to be active with her and to you know have the energy and I didn't do anything. It took diabetes to make me do something. Um, so, you know, if you are listening, and I know because I've talked to so many people since this, since I got the diagnosis, and I know a lot of people say, God, you could be describing my life. Um, well, then I'd say go and get checked. Um, and if, you know, if you are pre-diabetic, if your doctor does say you need to do something, you can do it. Mm. Um, and there's no magic bullet, and there's no diet, you know, I mean, I was just writing another piece for The Independent, um, which will be in, I think, next week. But um, it's, you know, you need to find what works for you. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. I mean, I researched all kinds of diets and, uh, you know, all kinds of things. And it's not about that. It's actually about finding what works for you and what you can do in the long term. And okay. once you crack that, which isn't that complicated you'll be fine. All right. Listen, Barbara, great to hear that you are fine and that, uh, you, that you have cracked it. And good talking to you, as always. That's a journalist and writer, uh, Barbara Scully, who last September discovered she had type 2 diabetes.
and now she doesn't have it anymore because she changed her diet and she went exercising. As always, this is not medical advice, but go to your doctor. If you think you might be harboring anything like that, go to your doctor and take your doctor's advice. 1850-715-996. Just with regard to the virus, the coronavirus, did you see the way that China started work on a hospital overnight? Started straight away. We should be doing things like that for our healthcare crisis because we don't even do things like that. You can be sure if there's an epidemic of coronavirus, the results will be much worse. We should be talking to the Chinese to find out how to do things like that. Yes, actually, th- th- there are videos online of this hospital literally being built and opened in a week. You would not believe it, how, how it's done. But they've done it. Whether it'll stand up front in more than three months, maybe it'll all fall down afterwards, don't know. But they built a hospital in a week. 1850-715-996. Actually, speaking of diabetes D <laughs> I see here on my screen D is looking at a bag of Haribo that was in her handbag and feeling very guilty you'd be surprised what else is in there sugar addiction is real D I don't I don't need to look at your <laughs> thank you for that in my ear I didn't need it <laughs> oh god stop I hope it's a clean one no stop um <laughs> a nappy there's a nappy in your handbag God, 1850-715-996, leave it at that. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in solidfueldepot.ie. Somebody scream! Cork's 96FM's next big thing. Big thing is... Find out what it's all about soon. Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Somebody on to 1850-715-996 about the suggestion we talked to the Chinese about building a hospital. Our government would be too busy fighting each other to talk to the Chinese about anything, except maybe what sauce to put on the chicken. Tom says, have we any precautions in our ports and airports? PJ, this very dangerous virus needs to be dealt with at the point of entry to our country. That's from Tom Barry. Tom Barry the Chinese can build a hospital in a, in a week and, and have it open and taking in patients inside a week. We can't put in flood relief down in Denmark years after we discovered it was needed. Independent councillor and candidate Ger Kohan. Ger, good morning. Morning, PJ. How when, are you? When, I'm very well, sorry. When was this, remind me again, was this the flood of 2012? It was the flood from 20, June 2012. And there was another flood in 2009. So you're looking at eight years since the last one, PJ. Yeah, and um, this particular bad one in 2012 was down behind the shopping centre where there was houses under three and four feet of water. Isn't that right? That's right. All in Meadowbrook there, Copper Valley View, the Crestfield and Hayeswood shopping centres, the place is uh, completely destroyed. And even up in Clarence Cross, right through Clamour. Yeah. The place was destroyed. And what's annoying me, like the, the usual things on the doorstep, all the crime and housing, homelessness, health and all that, but 
just last week alone, uh, PJ, the Department of Environment, in their wisdom, decided to do a tour uh, public consultation period, which lasts until the 27th of February next month, inviting people to give their opinion on what the effect uh, this flood relief scheme would have on fish, otters, uh, the environment in general, and people are absolutely open arms about it. I happen to know somebody, um, colleague of mine from the newspapers, I happen to know that their house was completely destroyed, like wrecked by this flood. And what he tells me from his own experience over the years is that this particular part of Glenmire, is it at the bottom of two separate valleys? And it's a nor- yeah. there's a normal flow of water down there and you need something to divert the water away? You know what? It's right down the valley. I think if you translate Glenmire, it means Valley of the Little Fish. So it's right down at the end of Barnabella Hill, uh, it, below uh, Hazelwood, Crestfield Downs, all those areas. Uh, it, all the water flow would, would go down into that uh, Meadowbrook estate. And nothing's been done since 2012? Nothing. Like, since my days in Cork County Council, and now my days in Cork City Council, uh, the updates I was getting all along was, staff date was quarter three, 2019, which is well past. It's sitting on the minister's desk, just to be signed off. And this further delay is just that uh, oh, you, you don't believe the anxiety that is creating down glamour at the minute, that this cannot be signed off by the minister for uh, finance, yeah. uh, the OPW, have all the box ticked. It's a hundred percent OPW project. It's ready to go, just to be signed off. Because what I remember in particular, you know, about the flood in 2012 was, you kind of expect floods in winter time. You don't yeah. expect to be flooded out of your house in the middle of summer. No, absolutely. The night of those rains, I think 50 millimeters of rain fell that night, uh, unprecedented. But but since then, it's worth noting as well, PJ. Since 2012. There have been several near misses. Okay. And only for the fact that the fire brigade come out, the councils come out, residents come out. I've been done like even on the 30th of December 2015, uh, me and others were down there bucketing water from the front doors to keep it at bay. It's like any time heavy rains come, people take time off work just to go home and protect their property. And bear in mind, None of these properties have flood insurance. So if it happens again, homes are lost, businesses are lost. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's it's a joke. Uh, and and the latest like, the latest delay now you said is about otters and fish. The Department of Environment have opened up a public consultation, inviting people to express their opinions on what effect this will have on fish, otters, etc. Now I know we are in a very biodiversity aware period and we need to be conscious of any kind of development what it'll do to the animals the bees the birds whatever but this is a flood development i mean am i and someone will will pick up on me if if i'm not right but i'm sorry now but a few otters or fish versus the 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 homes and property of hundreds of people i'm sorry this is a no-brainer here or am i I wrong no, you're right. That's exactly the opinions of myself, to be honest with you, and all the people in Glamour that have been affected by floods. If, if their homes are destroyed, again, that's it. They're homeless. Business closed, nowhere to live, and 
look. And whose idea was it to seek another another review, another another oh. consultation? Oh, look, who knows? Some some bright spark up in the patent environment. Like this, this is going to be the third uh, environmental impact study that the government wants, and it's it's just not acceptable anymore. Like, okay. Ger, leave it there. Thanks very much. That's Ger Johan, independent candidate for Cork North Central. Those houses and homes and businesses that were flooded out in 2012 and indeed in 2009 in Glenmire, still not, no, no relief scheme in, and now delayed as they survey the effect it might have on otters and fish. And I get it. I get it. How biodiversity aware we need to be in, in 2019 or 2020 even. But good Lord, like, in fairness. 1850-715-996. Listen, I'm going to give you the list now of who is standing in Cork North Central because we had a couple of different candidates on so far this morning. So, in Cork North Central, Fianna Fáil, Deputy Podrick O'Sullivan, Councillor Tony Fitzgerald and Sandra Murphy are the candidates. Deputy McBarry is for Solidarity People Before Profit. Councillor Ken O'Flynn is an independent. Councillor John Maher of Labour. Councillor Tommy Gould of Sinn Féin. Councillor Oliver Moran of the Green Party. James Collin of the Workers' Party. Senator Colin Burke and Lorraine O'Neill of Fine Gael. Sinead Halpin of the Social Democrats. TJ Hogan, independent. Martin Condon, independent. Finian Toomey of N2. Jarek Johan, independent. Diarmuid O'Kaila, independent. Sean O'Leary, independent. And Stephen James O'Donovan, independent. 1850-715-996. Kevin says anyone can build a hospital in a week. Remember the last time we went around slapping up something quickly? Pyrite. I want something that last. In fact, it's in the wrong place. It's a different question. Fair enough, Kev. But at the same time, I guess the story from us, from from China is that how have they addressed this emergency in their midst? They have locked up, literally locked down a city of 11.5 million people. Nobody's gone out. Look at the video. Nobody's gone out. Nobody's let out. From today, the private car is banned from the centre of Wuhan. Like, don't mind the Panaban. We couldn't even enforce the Panaban. They have, enforced, they have locked all private cars out of the city centre of, of Wuhan. The streets in, in a city of 11 million people are completely deserted. It's almost frightening. But they're trying to lock everybody down to make sure that that virus doesn't uh, be transmitted anymore. And the scary part of it is just how transmissible it is before you actually d- display any symptoms. That That's even more of a, a scary one. Well, the lovely gig should be tonight. That should be a great event, The um, looking for Cork's favourite song. That's on tonight at the library at 7.30, and the winning song will be announced. So just before I go to the news, I had a couple of them here out of the top ten that were, were up for nomination, and people were voting on them over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the, the particular favourite that we had here was Where's Me Jumper? But there was other ones. Uh, like, for example, obviously After After All was in there. Um, this one was in there. One of the iconic Cork songs. Then here's another one. Wouldn't be a list of Cork's top ten without a John Spillane song in there. Between these two rivers, I know where we'll meet on Princess Street. 
and they had John Spillane, John Spillane as well as John Spillane, Mick Flannery. Here's a song I'd almost forgotten about this gorgeous Mick Flannery song. And then, of course, well, Rory Gallagher has to get in there somewhere. And where would you be without the poker? They're all in there. They're all in there. After all, after all is there. So they're the top, the top ten songs that people have been voting on. And the announcement will be made tonight. Uh, Trevor Welsh from The Score is the MC for the event at the library at 7.30. There will be performances by John Spillane, Jimmy Crowley, Sean O'Shea, Natural Gas, uh, Sarah Ryan's Young Folk Singer of the Year, Eva Corbett from the Singers Club, Christy O'Donovan were there, the High Hopes Choir and Music Generation. And by the way, to the fr- family, friends and relatives of Ellie O'Keefe and those of us who've been following Ellie O'Keefe for years, how delighted was everybody at the weekend that Ellie O'Keefe got through on The Voice. We did ask Ellie uh, to come on the show and have a chat with us about it, but unfortunately she's not allowed at the moment, but she'll talk to us the first chance that she gets. Uh, she's not unfortunately allowed. She's under a contract with them. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Going through some of the songs on the list for Cork's favourites. It was a short list of ten, and people have been voting for the last week and a bit. Just message and say, uh, always amazed that Jimmy McCarthy is never shouted about from the rooftops as he should be. Interesting, yes, Jimmy isn't in that uh, top ten. I, I was a bit surprised at that myself. 1850-715-996, text 083-396-9696, and the email is opinion at 96fm. I'm just waiting for the stuff to come in from the biodiversity geeks and all that about the otters and the fish in in Glenmire and and the flood relief and all of that. Like it just to think that if your house was flooded out two or three times in a period of years and you now can't get flood insurance and if it happens again, it'll break you. And to think that they're arguing over otters and fish ahead of your flood protection. I don't think I'd be too happy. But then again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I usually am. <coughs> 1850-715-996. Let's go to that planning story that's in the news. And we covered this before Christmas. Uh, with uh, It's it's a it's a drama, or a dancing school and it's a childcare facility and it's under threat now because of a development of I think the number was 42 apartments in Brocklesby Street right down there in the heart of of Blackpool, about two minutes' walk from the church. And I had spoke to parents and mums here uh, before Christmas about how important this little place has become to their children and become to them. And they just don't want it touched. They don't want it closed. It'll close as part of this development of 42 apartments. Could it go somewhere else? It probably could. But as they say, it's not as simple as that. Deputy Mick Barry was on the news about it. Mick, good morning to you. Good morning to you, PJ. There, there is huge support for retaining it, but at the same time, there's a need for housing. So, so how do you balance the two? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, so there is huge support for retaining it. Uh, you have a preschool there, 
which is the only preschool uh, of its kind in the Blackpool area. But you also have the stage school, which, as you say, does dance classes, gym, etc. And there's about 300 children uh, going to that. Uh, it's one of the few youth facilities of its kind in the north side. And it's obviously very highly rated by the parents, very popular, mm. uh, etc. So the proposal that is there at the moment uh, would involve uh, the levelling of buildings, which means that the school would be evicted, which means that the, sc- the stage school would shut down. Mm. And also, it's... Um, Could it not just be relocated? my attention as well. Could it not just be relocated? Well, I think the idea of uh, relocation uh, is uh, uh, an important point. Uh, I made the point when I was on with you before Christmas that I felt that if the developer were to withdraw the application and sit down with the people who run the preschool and stage school uh, and organize for them or assist them uh, in finding alternative premises, uh, then um, maybe kind of arrangement could be put in place and we get the 42 apartments as well because, as you say, we need housing uh, and apartments. It's not just a case of moving into a community centre or some derelict building. There has been a lot of work, a lot of investment gone into the school and gone into the stage school uh, over the last number of years. So it's not an easy find, but possibly it's something that could be done. But it, it, that type of an arrangement shouldn't happen with the gun being put to the head of the organisers in the school or the preschool. That would be my opinion, and I think the opinion of a lot of listeners out there too. How, how long, I mean, assuming that this were to go ahead, how long would it be before the, the doors have to close on the school? I'm not sure. Uh, you would have to speak to uh, the owner uh, of the property and the people who are putting forward the planning application to get an exact answer on that but as you know the the planning application uh, will be processed uh, within the next couple of weeks uh, and then we'll have a much clearer idea of what the uh, the countdown time scale would be if the uh, developer gets the go ahead in relation uh, in relation to this it's also come to my attention that as well as the uh, stage school and the preschool uh, that there is a place of worship uh, on those grounds there is, is there? a, a there is a Pentecostal, a Pentecostal church which uses a building there as a place of worship, uh, effectively evicted from their premises uh, as well, although I think at the moment the main focus is on the question of the school and the preschool. So what do you think should be done? I think the planning application should be withdrawn. I think that there should be talks between the organisers of the school and the um, owner of the property. Uh, I think the owner of the property uh, should try and facilitate uh, uh, an arrangement which would be acceptable to the school and the preschool. And I don't think that the proposal should go ahead effectively putting a gun to the head of the staff and the parents in this place. And I'm quite confident, PJ, just to be uh, clear on this, that there will be not just widespread opposition, uh, but I think uh, active opposition. Uh, to this as well. I think the parents are going to have their say How do you mean uh, on opposition? this issue. I, I understand that the uh, staff are uh, discussing a campaign uh, to defend uh, their school uh, and drawing on support from parents and hopefully the school will have some news on that sometime later in the week. Okay. 
Tom has been on to say when the post office in Shandon Street was closing, Mick was nowhere to be seen to give support to the 6,000 pensioners who were drawing their pension there, didn't attend the meetings. Now here you are all over a preschool uh, with, with, with uh, two weeks to an election. Uh, well, Tom is wrong in his facts and information there. Uh, I think I, I, I can have a, have a fair guess as to who Tom is. I won't say the second name on the, on the radio. Uh, an old friend of mine, let's put it that way. Um, uh, no, there, there were public meetings held on days when the doll was sitting, and I spoke to our councillor, Fiona Ryan, who attended all of the meetings there. And there were a number of protests organised, and I attended two of them. And there's many people who are down there standing alongside me who vote for that. Okay. So I, I, I think, in fairness, PJ, we have, or I have, um, you know, people who don't agree with my politics, who just dis- disagree with my socialist viewpoints. But I think there's probably few enough after 20 years on the north side who wouldn't say fairly consistent when defending jobs and services. Is it possible, and Kevin makes this suggestion on Twitter, and I think it was brought up as well on the programme before, is it possible that the developer could be approached with a view to incorporating the school and, and, the, and, the, and the school, the dance school, into the, the, the development and maybe cutting down the number of apartments from 42 to 32, say. I visited the school um, uh, and spoken to the staff, and uh, I've been up to have a look at the site. Uh, it would seem to me uh, it, that it would be difficult to incorporate 42 apartments uh, alongside the, uh, the school and the building that is there. Uh, it may be possible to do it with a lesser number of apartments, uh, and I think if the developer and the owner were open to that proposal, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that could possibly be looked at. But I think 42 apartments alongside the school, uh, that would be quite a difficult proposition. All right, OK. Leave it there for now, Deputy Mick Barry of uh, Solidarity. And that issue from Brocklesby Street in Blackpool. Pre-Christmas we spoke about it. So there's a lot of support out there now for it. And I also spoke to mums before Christmas who said, look, a lot of the people don't drive. So it's not just a matter of packing the kids into the car and driving a mile or two out the road. They don't drive. A lot of them just, they walk there and it's convenient and it's local and it's there on their doorstep. Kate is the owner of the school. Kate, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. And, and thank you for coming on. Now, that question I asked Mick, maybe you can answer it better. The, 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 if all this were to go ahead, when would you face closing the door? Um, I won't be closing the door outside of it's great to have all the support it's great to have Mick on speaking and highlighting the issue but I suppose PJ having learned more now since um, after Christmas it's my statutory right to stay here I wasn't consulted I have a lease I have a legal right to be here and it's this faceless company and the landlord who are just ignoring my own statutory rights it's like nearly trying I feel to bully me out it's kind of you know well, yeah, we know you have a lease, but we're still going to apply for planning. So, like, I imagine I'm And when sure did your lease run until, Kate? I've nearly another five years left on my lease. So okay. if any small business owners are listening, imagine feeling you're secure and you have a lease, and then it's mm. nearly saying, well, that doesn't to, matter. You'd have to be compensated, I guess, for that if they wanted to buy you out of it. But again, PJ, no, I haven't even gotten the respect that someone has contacted me um, the Compass Homes have come out with a statement who are the developers to say that I knew all about this, which I didn't, which is totally not yeah. true. Um, I actually told the church group next to me 
um, that Mick spoke about, I told them on the 6th of January. Mm-hmm. They weren't, they did, they had missed the whole thing in December. So, you know, if they weren't told, I certainly wasn't told. Um, and it's just bare-faced lies now. Careful now, calling, let's not call anybody a liar here now, Kate. Just, 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 let's, let's be careful yeah, well, well, it's just not true. And um, you, you were know, never told about this. You just no, I was never consulted. No one came to see Dan. you and said, "Listen, we're going to do this." No, no, no. no. Um, and like, I suppose it's kind of. I feel like it's. You know, we have to now fight for the school. I yes, superstars stage school is here, and new and preschool and after school are here. Um, but new and preschool is a, is a it cannot. Rec- relocate. Um, it Tell me why. Can't. Because of all the Tussler regulations, you have to have a designated outdoor area for a preschool. And there is no, like that, there's a huge child care crisis. There's no um, but, location. But could there no not be a place? I mean, and again, you say it can't be moved out. Surely there would be somewhere that would be suitable, that would be approved and, and given the, the green light by Tussler to move it to. I can't see anywhere on the north side. Um, I was looking myself um, just to see was there any places um, that would suit, and there is nowhere. And again, like as you said last um, before Christmas, a lot of the people attending you in preschool are from Blackpool. So, you know, they're walking into Blackpool. So I know for people driving, even going to Balavalan, doesn't seem like a huge stretch, but if you had to walk from Blackpool in the winter, in the rain, up to Valvalan with your three-year-old, you'd feel it, you know? And as well, if they're going to be building developments in Blackpool, like they proposed here in Blockbuster Street, and they're proposing two more developments and one being built over in Spring Lane, that's great, but they don't have any infrastructure first. You know, there's, there's no facilities in Blackpool to support these developments mm. like there's going to be new people move into those they're going to need childcare, and they're going to need facilities and places for their kids to go and there's going to be nowhere in Blackpool to support that which in turn leads to other issues with yeah. antisocial behaviour and already Blackpool has been getting a bad rep over what's going on down here mm. um, and we want to stay here we want to be a positive influence on the Blackpool community mm-hmm. I just think to to force us out of it would be detrimental to the Blackpool community. So so you've just said to me that you've no intention of moving out. How are you going to deal with that? Well, I, I have five years left on my lease, so it's my, it's my right to be here. Um, so I I will obviously be fighting for my business. And my legal action, Kate. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still hoping that someone is going to communicate with me, but nobody has still come communicate or speak to me um, but I suppose I, I have my interest is the school and yeah. um, my interest is the 17 people who work here so I'm certainly not just going to stand here and yeah. leave How many pupils have you by the way? There's 300 in Mewen there's about 22 kids uh, and then superstars there's 300 students attending uh, weekly Okay, okay. so over the next few months, like you have, you've had, you've had no meeting with the developer. Have you no. written or emailed or called? Yeah, like we've written to them, um, so um, we just have to wait now and see what what's going to transpire over the next few weeks. But I suppose, like I do, again, I have a statutory right to be here, and um, like it is in my rights as a tenant 
to have been informed of the whole plans of what was supposed to be, what is planned to go on down there. And I, I wasn't informed, nor were the church next to me informed. And, um, you know, that that's step one, you know, that we have a right to be here, you know. Okay. All right. Well, we'll follow it with interest over the, the coming weeks and months. Kate, thanks very much. Kate is the owner of Mewen uh, Preschool who's one of the premises affected, and Superstar Stage School is the other. They're kind of rolled into one next to each other down there in Brocklesby Street. And this development of 42 apartments will involve the closure of both premises. And we just heard Kate tell us that she's checking up on her legal position because she has a a lease with five more years on it. And she's either going to have to be compensated for that or she's going to use it to fight... Uh, the eviction, as Mick Barry calls it, of the school from the premises. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood. Open late, seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie. Question number 10. Where is the world's oldest yacht club? Uh, Cork, Crosshaven. That's where you're from, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's where KC lives. And did we go yachting down there before? We did indeed. We did, and when we went down there, they said to us that this is the world's oldest yachting club. Yeah! You just want to do it! Outstanding, Pat. Outstanding. Nice one, lads. Really appreciate it. You've just won €2,000 for 60 seconds work. Handbrake turns back home to West Cork. Thanks, lads. Another winner. There you go. Go, go, go. The two grand minute. Listen to play. At 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold. Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Corks 96 FM. Regards Brockleby Street, Kate is saying, or John is saying, Kate should hang in there. She's got a lease for five years and knows she has every right to be there for her customers. After that five years, who knows? But for now, she's got the right to stay there and the right to hang in there. That's from John. 1850-715-996. You know the old argument, you've had it. Every man has had it with his wife or every wife has had it with her husband when you're trying to park the car or trying to read maps. The argument is, well, men can read maps better or men can park cars better. And we've often seen it in car parks. I've seen it myself where the woman will drive into the car park. There's a tight little space down the end of the car park. He reckons the car will fit in. She says, no, that won't fit in. The argument is, get a flipping bus in there. Go on, get it in there. No, and in the end, there'll be a row. Because he can see it'll go in there and she can't. It's an old one. It's an old one. But there's research now from the University of Limerick to state that it's all a load of baloney, that men and women can actually see and analyse the space at the same level and they'll be just as handy at parking and just as handy at reading maps. That new research is published today. Dr Mark Campbell, good morning, Mark. Good morning, PJ, how are you? Good, good. We've, we've all heard those arguments. Are oh, you put a bus in there? No, it won't go into two ties. Who's better or are we both the same? 
Well, the research we've done here in Lero, the Irish Software Research Centre, would say that there's no sex difference. So guys and girls um, perform the same uh, to the same degree when they do um, a mental rotations test, which is a big test of spatial cognition, which you mentioned there. It's such things as, you know, parking your car or reading maps or finding your wayfinding, finding your way home or determining your orientation and things like that. So we found no differences between the sexes. But for the last 40 years or so, the test we've used has shown a male advantage uh, when they've done it for extensively over the last 40 years. But we changed the conditions of the test. We decided to not prioritise speed over accuracy. So the old test would, would have taken... Uh, six minutes to complete it. We gave everyone 15 minutes to complete it. And when we did away with the time constraint, uh, the sex difference vanished. So who would be faster or slower under the old system? So under the old system, uh, guys were faster. Um, so they were, because the test prioritised speed over accuracy, so they were told to do it as quickly and as accurately as they could. But mm-hmm. guys would go quicker, so they would use what we would call in the in psychology a leaping strategy so as soon as they thought they had the answer they would jump on to the next question and leap on to the next question and so on whereas uh, girls tended to have a more kind of a cautious strategy which was I'm not going to go on to the next one until I'm absolutely certain that I've got this right Mm -hmm. Um, and because the test was a a timed one or had a very strict time constraint um, girls you know perform more poorly over the course of the whole test What does that say though about the two sexes? Well, I think it, it, it tells us that it's not a, a cognitive ability, it's not a mental rotation ability difference that uh, differentiates guys from girls. It's something else. It's not the test itself. It's not that test of uh, mental rotation that they're doing. It's something to do with the environment or the setup or the test conditions or how we administer the test. So that's what it tells us as far as I can say. Right. Let's bring it down to the practical example of parking your car between two other cars yes like are you saying that the women the women will do it just as well and just as safely but of their nature they'll do it more slowly um no not necessarily i think when we think about parking a car we know that we have to not hit other cars and do it uh safely and do it accurately so um i think it's probably you know evidence of that kind of cautious strategy but I think guys and girls both display that but maybe it's a societal expectations where we just expect to see you know maybe um, a female struggling to park or it's a kind of a confirmation bias when we see someone doing it particularly slowly but I don't know about you but I don't see too many um, females crashing their cars when they're parking so no. I think they, they do it quite accurately as just like ourselves No, maybe we and we maybe rush at it a bit and might make mistakes Exactly, yeah, so again it's that speed accuracy issue isn't it, it's, it's depending on what we're actually asking of uh, people is it to do it quickly or is it to do it accurately um, and maybe, uh, maybe what we know so far is that guys tend to uh, prioritise speed or rush things a little bit, um, whereas girls might be a little more cautious and be more inclined towards accuracy rather than speed. So where do you develop research like this? Where do you next take it? Where do it go? Yeah, so I suppose in Lero, the Irish Software Research Centre, we have an eSports science lab, so we're very interested in um, professional and competitive computer gamers. Um, So it sounds like a bit of a stretch from spatial cognition to computer gamers, but we call gamers cognitive athletes. So, you know, they sit at a computer screen and they play these games on their PCs uh, 
and we don't think there's a huge physical demand to that so we call them cognitive athletes we think that a lot of their skills are down to the kind of cognitive proficiencies they have their memory and um, their spatial cognition their ability to react to stimuli and uh, so on on the screens so we think that um you know at the moment in esports we have a, a you know, the guys are very dominant in esports. They're out, they make up most of the professional teams and so on. But mm. you know, the research we're trying to do is to show that there's there's no difference cognitively between guys and girls when we look at some of these issues. So that there's absolutely no reason why these uh, professional teams and elite teams can't have uh, just as many girls on those teams. That it's it's almost like a societal issue. Still, it's not a question of skill because esports or competitive computer gaming is a, a beautiful skill when we think about it in terms of a sport because it's, it's, a, it's a really nice opportunity for guys and girls to compete on a level playing pitch against each other rather than having uh, the, the, the separation that we have in other traditional sports due to you know, biological differences or the demands of the particular sports. Okay. All right. So that's the next, the, the next step so that we, we can both do it equally as well but women will do it more slowly. I, I'm a, is that, am I oversimplifying? Uh, no, you're not. No, no, absolutely. That's what, um, you know, about 40 years of research has showed us that there's different strategies employed when we're asked to do these tests. of. Uh, and is that because we think tests. differently? Is that a different appreciation of, like, how will I like come back again to the parking space, driving past, uh, that I might know instinctively, yes, my car will go in there or it won't go in there, whereas my wife might not make such an, ins an, instant, an instant assessment? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's hard to tell because of um, the whole milieu we live in, so the kind of cultural expectations and even the, the whole baggage of uh, guys are better than girls at various skills, such as driving, things like that. So people might grow up hearing these kind of things and have less confidence to do it as a result of just those kind of stereotypes that are out there. So if we, you know, what we're trying to do in our lab really is to isolate out these skills and kind of test them in isolation and see, uh, you know, how they do on, in these skills and then... Differences can be attributed to other factors such as environmental or genetic or sociological and so on. You're probably better doing it in the lab rather than doing it in the car park. You don't want a load of dented cars. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, Mark, thanks very much for your time this morning. That's Dr. Mark Campbell uh, from the University of Limerick. Deirdre reminds us that she rescued another woman in a car park the other day. And it struck her that she'd normally wait for a man to come along and do it. The last time that I got stuck in a situation like that, I was down outside a pub, a very well-known pub on the south side of the city. And there was a woman there in a most gorgeous convertible Mercedes. It was a beautiful yoke altogether. I'd be afraid to look at it, let alone touch it. And she was trying to get out, trying to get out of a parking space. And there was another car parked sort of opposite her and she was really nervous she's really struggling with this and she had all the beepers and all the cameras and all that really struggling with it and she asked me as I passed she said any chance you'd help me to get out there and I said yeah grand come on away you're back away you're grand and she had the back away you're fine back away keep going keep going stop eventually she said would you ever take it out for me I can't and I goes this flipping thing is worth a hundred grand and you're trusting me with it <sighs> got it out though 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With the solid fuel depot at Drew's filling station Turner's Cross Open 7 days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln dried wood and gas Solidfueldepot.ie Check it out check it, check it out Cork's 96FM's next big bang <laughs>
coming is coming soon. Easy known there's an election coming up. Haven't heard this much of Mick Barry on the radio since he got elected. You don't listen very often, obviously, because Mick Barry's always on the radio. Yeah, here right in the newsroom, always on the radio. Uh, Jerry was on from WhatsApp, or on via WhatsApp, about China and the attitude that no planes come directly here from China, so we're low risk, is a joke. We have a Chinese population living here and students from colleges as well that are travelling back and forth from China. Hence, one just after coming from Wunjian village, measures should be taken. Now, that follows the breaking story from Waterford this morning that a student who travelled recently back from Wuhan to Ireland before Wuhan was locked down. You can't get in or out of it now. But before Wuhan was locked down, this student travelled back. He's now gone into self-enforced isolation in his flat in Waterford where he's attending college. He's not sick, not at all, showing no symptoms, but has gone into him his own enforced isolation in his flat in Waterford. 1850-715-996. Seamus um, Kelly was on about his book, which he launched last year. We'll get to that uh, momentarily. We've also had a very interesting uh, contact over the weekend from Martin uh, about Irish Rail. Martin Cullinan, you might remember, he received an Irish Water Safety Association Bravery Award in November of 2018. He was the man who saved two little brothers and um, one five to the six from drowning down in Mariner's Key in Passage West. This happened in April 2018. You remember that story? He heard shouts for help coming from the water and he looked out the window, saw the lads in trouble and he went and he rescued them and uh, he became quite a, a local hero. He was involved in something over the weekend and he contacted us about it. Is he good to go there, guys? He is. Martin, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Good. What happened to you? Yesterday? Yeah. Oh, um, I, I do um, I do very early morning deliveries, PJ. Mm-hmm. And um, I was on the way back from Limerick yesterday morning in the work van. Yeah. And I got a, a text message from my sister who has just lost her husband. Right. And she was upset. Of course, yeah. So Sorry I said I'd collect, I'd collect her on the way from Limerick, I collected her on Balavalan, went to Little Island. I said, we'll leave the van there and we'll get the train to Cork. Okay. I'll take her out for the day. Right. So we got to the train station in Little Island and I've done this numerous times. And the machine to pay wasn't working. Right. It said, sorry, machine out of order. Okay. And I said to her, not to worry, we can pay at the other end. Yeah. How much is the fare, uh, just a matter of interest? Three, three euros and ten cent. And I had the six twenty for the two of us, right. but the machine was wouldn't accept. Okay, so what would happen then under normal circumstances? Under well, as I've done before, you just you just go to the guy at the other end and said I couldn't get a ticket. Can I pay it here? And he'll say fine. Right. Not yesterday. Yesterday, when we got into Cork, there was about seven. I I don't know what was written on the back of the high vis. Um, uh, Irish Rail Revenue people. Revenue collectors, yeah, revenue, revenue, yeah. revenue enforcement officers, I think they call them. Something like that, yeah. And um, they, I said, I, can I pay for my tickets here? And they said, no, you're getting a fine. The two of you. Right. 
fine? And the fine is a hundred euros plus the fare. But you had explained to them that the ticket wasn't working at the other end yeah, and that yeah. you've done this before. Oh, yeah. And what and did they, they said, say? They, they said, did you take a picture of the machine? I mean, in, in the, I mean, who takes a picture of the machine? And I said, it didn't. It doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, there's the money, and they wouldn't accept. No way. It wasn't happening. And did you have to shell out the 103? No, no. They asked for ID. I had ID. Right. I gave them my ID. But my sister didn't have ID. Right. Because she's, obviously, she's in grieving yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So she just carried cash. Yeah. So because she didn't have ID, they called the guardie. They called the guards? Yeah. Over a three euro fare? Yeah. That we were willing to pay. Right. This all sounds bizarre. It's, it's, it's just bizarre, it's mental. And they had us pinned into a corner as if we were criminals. Right. For an we, hour. Did, we, we did, when we got your message over the weekend, we did contact Irish Rail. Yeah. Uh, and we, um, we, we, we spoke to Barry, Barry Kenny, who's their communications officer, and they issued a statement. They say they would need the penalty notice for an exact response, but on the general issue, it says. If there's no opportunity to pay on departure, like the ticket machine is broken yeah. and there's no staff there, customers can pay on arrival. Our revenue yeah. protection officers can check if a ticket machine is or is not working prior to issuing a penalty fine. However, if a customer believes they were fined incorrectly, they can appeal to a revenue protection unit. Details of how to appeal are on the fixed penalty notice or they can email rpu at irishrail.ie. Now, we have sent them an updated email with details of the penalty notice. But clearly it says in their response that they can check whether a ticket machine is or is not working. Well, we were, we were told at the time that they couldn't check. They don't know. Well, according to this statement from Irish Rail, they did. So yeah. I, I, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be appealing this for you. Oh, I appealed it. We were, the, we were in the station. We were held in the station so long that I appealed it before I even got out of the station. By email, on the phone. Yeah. Have you had a reply? But no reply, nothing, no. An automated reply. Yeah. That they've received us, you know. How how frequently is that machine broken, anyway, in the um, I I think I've got that train about six or seven times, and maybe... Maybe fifty percent of the time it's been out of order. And you know, when you get off, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a while now since I got a train, particularly yeah. on that side of the county at all. Like the gates, are there gates that you have to put the ticket oh, there, in? There is. There's um, there, those there there electronic gates. Electronic gates, but there's always a guy standing behind that you can say, "I couldn't pay. I'll pay here." Right. And, and, gen and gen generally, just in case they take the cash off of there and then it puts you exactly. Through. Yeah, he always goes, "Oh yeah, go over there and pay." But yesterday, no such luck. Yesterday, no. They weren't having it. Right. Well, like I said, now we've also sent Irish Rail a, a further email with the details of the notice that you were issued, and we'll wait and see what comes back. But it seems like, according to their original statement, it does seem like a, like a no-brainer. If a customer yeah. believes they were finding correctly, they can appeal to the Revenue Protection Unit. But our, it says but very it's, clearly it's here not, in front of me. In it's black not and white. about that, PJ. It's about what they put us through. Yes. We yes. were held there for an hour. An hour. And two two guardy and a squad car. What? Yeah. And they have nothing else. Like, the guards are busy. 
And what did the guards say when they came in? And they were... They were, they, I think they were so embarrassed. They didn't want to be there. Yeah. And that, 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 was the, that was the whole point of it. Yeah. The two guards felt so... I think they felt desperate that yeah. they were called. Yeah. Like, the total I, sum of money involved was €6.20. And a yeah. squad car came with two guards in it. Yes. That's the whole point of this. But I would have the thought... The guards have better things maybe, to be doing. Perhaps it's just me. Perhaps I'm a little stupid. I've been called worse. But I would have thought the first thing to do was check the system to see if the train, if the machine was actually working down in Little yeah, Island. Sim- simple. Yeah. But um, we were... We were they, we were treated like criminals. And wh- why did they say they were calling the guards? Because my sister had no ID. But she doesn't really have to carry ID. No, we know? don't. No, we, we 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 don't live in we don't live in Moscow she yet. She, she's never driven in her life. She's never had a driving license. We, we don't live in one of those countries yet where you have to no, carry ID. No, that's what I was time. thinking. I said, Jesus, I was thinking, are we in Baghdad or? <laughs> Or trying to cross the border from east to west Germany and go, no. Yeah, I know, but they, these um, these revenue virus, they, take, they took it seriously. And they would not accept the money off me. So when the guards came then and you explained to the guards what had happened. And I explained to the guards that. What did they my, say? That my sister is in the. Um, the what is it? Is, it, is it the seven stages of grief? Yeah, but it, 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 that's kind of, with respect to your sister, that's not relevant. Like, the guards... I know, yeah. Guard, what did the guard say when you told him the story? He said this is a complete waste of our time. He said that in front of the revenue officials? He, yeah, he said it was, yeah. <sighs> he says you want to pay for the ticket, but they don't want it. <sighs> and I went, yeah... That's basically what's going on. And they've been, and the guards have been called because someone didn't have ID. Yeah. Sure. And what, I was taking her. Paying, I was, take, cash, I was actually bringing her to town to help her to have a good day out. You know. I know. I know. I know. That just makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. And then when he gave me the fine, I said, "Okay, you need the, the six twenty for the tickets." And he said, "No, we don't need that now anymore." And I went, what? It, it just makes no sense. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> like this, this, this wouldn't happen in Killing Scully. No, it wouldn't. It, it was the most... It, oh, it's a desperate thing to say, but it's the most Irish thing I ever came across. Well, as I said, now we'll await the we'll await the next response from Irish Rail. In fairness, Barry Kenny, Barry Kenny came back to us. An apology would be lovely. Well, they came back to us, explained the situation. They said they would need the penalty notice for an exact response, which I've we've now well, yeah. we've, they've they've now been sent that all those details, so they can look it up in the system. Yeah. Um, but I'd be inclined to ask them why, why were the guards called because over six euro twenty and someone who didn't have an ID. Yeah. I had ID. I was no brother. Then no, still not good enough. Okay. It, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever come across. Yeah. 
we could just to call on the line there. I had a similar problem one morning at the time. I had a pass. The girl at the railway station says, I'm taking your pass off you because you're using it too much. <laughs> the reason he was using it so much was his brother was ill. He had to reapply for the pass, which he did, and got it again, no problem. What kind of pass is that? Free travel pass or something? I Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what she had. Well, but uh, as as we were stood there, I know, if, as we were stood there in the corner with these seven guys around us and the two guardy, another train arrived, mm-hmm. and a girl went up to one of the guys I spotted, and she said, I couldn't pay for the thing, and he said, that's okay, off you go. <sighs> but I couldn't say that to my sister, because she would have lost it. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Caller had a similar experience, appealed... Lost the appeal under the lost the appeal. lost the appeal was taken to court, and the judge threw it out. For, taken to court for how much? I, I, I don't have that information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Irish Rail had no proof the machine wasn't working, and the judge that was on the De Fergalis just explained to me why the judge threw it out. Um, if this will brighten up your day, um, get on yeah. to, get on to your sister. And Finn yeah. has been on here to say that any time you're in town with your sister, pop in to the new Maldron on South Mall and ask ask for Finn, and he'll look okay. after you for dinner. Oh. That's, Thanks, Peter. That's the kind of listeners we have. Yeah. All right. Yeah, she'd appreciate that. I know, I know, I know, yeah, I know she would. And it's, it's, that's, it's just... Uh, now, Thomas is saying here, the revenue collections people do not have the right to detain you. I would file a complaint to the Gaddy for false imprisonment. This is both an offence and you could take a civil case against Irish Rail. Well, they held on to you while the guards came, didn't they? Oh, they held on to us. They wouldn't leave us past, no way. A number of times I've been late at the train station in Middleton. Either the ticket machine wasn't working or I just didn't have enough time to get the ticket. Just jump on the train and pay at Kent Station. Never yeah, a problem. I don't understand what is the problem. There should be no problem. Someone else here got on at Rushbrook several times. Machine isn't working. Have been allowed to pay at Kent Station. Yes. And yesterday, they, they weren't having any of us. If a, if a, if a, if a, cost, a customer wants to pay, what is the problem? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the idea that you'd have to have taken a photograph of the machine, like, that's... Well, who does that? <laughs> Very good point. Who does that? <laughs> who does that? And he said the, 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 the machine at the other side might have been working, but I wasn't going the other way. That's exactly it. So he wants you to cross the track and try the other machine before getting... And they come back over Even again. Even though they, ha- they habitually take the money off people at the other end. Yeah. All right. As I yeah, said, and then when we, got, when we got into town, we just spoke to these two people, and they said, Martin, you have to put this on Facebook. It's just, it's horrible how they treated you. Yeah. yeah. And the guard was almost saying, Jesus, I don't know why we're here. Oh, the guards, had they, 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 their heads were hung. They just, they just went, this is ridiculous. We've a lot more to be doing. And, and did they say that to the revenue collection officials? Well, there was kind of um, there was a kind of a standoff between the two of them. Right. The girls didn't really want to. They didn't want to be there. No, for for six for six twenty, and someone with no ID, I wouldn't yeah. want to be there either. 
But the, the, the seven officials were, were taking this unbelievably seriously. Seven I of mean, them? We, we actually laughed at one stage. Seven of them? Seven of them. On a Sunday, so they're getting double time. Sweet God. I, it just doesn't make sense. Makes no sense at all. As I said, now we're waiting on the reply, the second reply to the updated email from Irish Rail. And I yeah, I just couldn't that. leave it go. No way. No, <laughs> no. And I'm not. I, I, I'm sorry for sounding like I'm laughing. I'm not. I'm laughing at the at the craziness of it all. That's all right. I was laughing at the craziness of it as well. All right. Well, look, get in touch with with, with Finn at the Maldron, and um, you, he'll take care of yourself and your sister for a bite a, a bite of grub the next time you're passing. Just to make up for the situation. Do, yeah. And we will follow this up. Uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Yeah. Take care. Cheers, okay. Martin. Okay. Thanks, care. buddy. Bye. 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 Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Like he couldn't make it up. Nine of them surrounding seven of them, rather surrounding this man and his sister who had done what dozens of other people do, wanted to pay at the, at the gate, wasn't allowed to pay, over €6 Euro and 10 cents, and someone didn't have an ID, they called the guards. Guards who didn't even want to be there in the first place. You really couldn't make it up. The Opinion Line. Corks 96 FM.